Hello, Leanne Walker here with another episode of Wonder. For today's show, I'm going to take you along a slightly different route. As you know, the Wonder Show is about the people, places and events that shape our daily lives. Often, those events are entirely out of our control. Our destiny is shaped not only by our own actions, and often inaction, but also those of others and of circumstance. This idea is shaped beautifully by Mark Twain in an essay that he wrote called The Turning Point of My Life. For today's show, I'm going to read that essay, taken from a collection of his essays by Samuel Clemens, called What is Man? and Other Essays. The collection's on the public domain and is available for free via Project Gutenberg, if you want to go along and have a look. To leave a message about this show, or indeed about any show, or to ask a question, then visit the website at www.injustoneday.com forward slash say hello. But in the meantime, thanks for being here. If I understand the idea, the bazaar invites several of us to write upon the above text. It means the change in my life's course which introduced what must be regarded by me as the most important condition of my career. But it also implies, without intention perhaps, that that turning point itself was the creator of the new condition. This gives it too much distinction, too much prominence, too much credit. It is only the last link in a very long chain of turning points commissioned to produce the cardinal result. It is not any more important than the humblest of its 10,000 predecessors. Each of the 10,000 did its appointed share, on its appointed date, in forwarding the scheme and they were all necessary. To have left out any of them would have defeated the scheme and brought about some other result. I know we have a fashion of saying, such and such an event was the turning point in my life, but we shouldn't say it. We should merely grant that its place as last link in the chain makes it the most conspicuous link. In real importance, it has no advantage over any one of its predecessors. Perhaps the most celebrated turning point recorded in history was the crossing of the Rubicon. Suetonius says, Coming up with his troops on the banks of the Rubicon, he halted for a while, and revolving in his mind the importance of the step he was on the point of taking, he turned to those about him and said, We may still retreat, but if we pass this little bridge, nothing is left for us but to fight it out in arms. This was a stupendously important moment, and all the incidents, big and little, of Caesar's previous life had been leading up to it, stage by stage, link by link. This was the last link, merely the last one, and no bigger than the others. But as we gaze back at it through the inflating mists of our imagination, it looks as as big as the orbit of Neptune. You, the reader, have a personal interest in that link, and so have I. So has the rest of the human race. It was one of those links in your life chain, and it's one of the links in mine. We may wait now with bated breath while Caesar reflects. Your fate and mine are involved in his decision. While he was thus hesitating, the following incident occurred. A person remarked for his noble mien and graceful aspect appeared close at hand, sitting and playing upon a pipe. When not only the shepherds, but a number of soldiers also, 
flocked to listen to him, and some trumpeteers among them. He snatched a trumpet from one of them, ran to the river with it, and sounding the advance with a piercing blast, crossed to the other side. Upon this, Caesar exclaimed, Let us go whither the omens of the gods and the iniquity of our enemies call us. The die is cast. So he crossed, and changed the future of the whole human race for all time. But that stranger was a link in Caesar's life chain too, and a necessary one. We don't know his name, we never hear of him again. He was very casual, he acts like an accident, but he was no accident. He was there by compulsion of his life chain, to blow the electrifying blast that was to make up Caesar's mind for him, and thence go piping down the aisles of history forever. If the stranger hadn't been there, but he was, and Caesar crossed, with such results, such vast events, each a link in the human race's life chain, each event producing the next one, and the one, and the next one, and so on. The destruction of the Republic, the founding of the Empire, the breaking up of the Empire, the rise of Christianity upon its ruins, the spread of the religion to other lands, and so on. Link by link took its appointed place at its appointed time. The discovery of America being one of them, our revolution another, the inflow of English and other immigrants another, their drift westward, my ancestors among them, another, the settlement of certain of them in Missouri. For I was one of the unavoidable results of the crossing of the Rubicon. If the stranger with his trumpet blast had stayed away, which he couldn't, for he was an appointed link, Caesar would not have crossed. What would have happened in that case we can never guess. We only know that the things that did happen would not have happened. They might have been replaced by equally prodigious things, of course, but their nature and results are beyond our guessing. But the matter that interests me personally is that I would not be here now, but somewhere else. There is no telling. Very well, I'm glad he crossed, and very really and thankfully glad too, though I never cared anything about it before. Part 2 To me the most important feature of my life is its literary feature. I have been professionally literary something more than 40 years. There have been many turning points in my life, but the one that was the last link in the chain appointed to conduct me to the literary guild is the most conspicuous link in that chain, because it is the last one. It was not any more important than its predecessors. All the other links have an inconspicuous look, except the crossing of the Rubicon. But as factors in making me literary, they are of all one size, the crossing of the Rubicon included. I know how I came to be literary, and I will tell the steps that lead up to it and brought it about. The crossing of the Rubicon was not the first one, it was hardly even a recent one. I should have to go back ages before Caesar's day to find the first one. To save space, I will go back only a couple of generations and start with an incident of my boyhood. When I was twelve and a half years old, my father died. It was in the spring. The summer came and brought with it an epidemic of measles. For a time, a child died almost every day. The village was paralysed with fright, distress, despair. Children that were not smitten with the disease were imprisoned in their homes to save them from the infection. In the homes there were no cheerful faces, there was no music, there was no singing, but of solemn hymns, no voice but of prayer, no romping was allowed, no noise, no laughter. The family moved spectrally about on tiptoe in a ghostly hush. 
I was a prisoner, my soul was steeped in this awful dreariness, and in fear. At some time or other, every day and every night, a sudden shiver took to me to the marrow, and I said to myself, There, I've got it, and I shall die. Life on these miserable terms was not worth living, and at last I made up my mind to get the disease and have it over, one way or the other. I escaped from the house and went to the house of a neighbour, where a playmate of mine was very ill with the malady. When the chance offered, I crept into his room and got into bed with him. I was discovered by his mother and sent back into captivity. But I had the disease. They could not take that from me. I came near to dying. The whole village was interested and anxious and sent for news of me every day. And not only once a day, but several times. Everybody believed I would die. But on the fourteenth day, a change came for the worse, and they were disappointed. This was a turning point in my life, link number one. For when I got well, my mother closed my school career and apprenticed me to a printer. She was tired of trying to keep me out of mischief, and the adventure of the measles decided her to put me into more masterful hands than hers. I became a printer and began to add one link after another to the chain, which was to lead me into the literary profession. A long road, but I could not know that, and as I did not know what its goal was, or even if it had one, I was indifferent, also contented. A young printer wanders around a good deal, seeking and finding work and seeking again when necessity commands. Note, necessity is a circumstance. Circumstance is man's master, and when circumstance commands, he must obey. He may argue the matter, that is his privilege just as it is the honourable privilege of a falling body to argue with the attraction of gravitation. But it won't do any good. He must obey. I wandered for ten years under the guidance and dictatorship of circumstance, and finally arrived in a city of Iowa, where I worked several months. Among the books that interested me in those days was one about the Amazon. The traveller told an alluring tale of his long voyage up the great river from Para to the sources of the Madeira, through the heart of an enchanted land, a land wastefully rich in tropical wonders, a romantic land where all the birds and flowers and animals were of the museum varieties, and where the alligator and the crocodile and the monkey seemed as much at home as if they were in the zoo. Also, he told an astonishing tale about coca, a vegetable product of miraculous powers, asserting that it was so nourishing and so strength-giving that the natives of the mountains of the Madeira region would tramp uphill and down all day on a pinch of powdered coca and require no sustenance. I was fired with a longing to ascend the Amazon, also with a longing to open up a trade in coca with all the world. During months I dreamed that dream and tried to contrive ways to get to Para and spring that splendid enterprise upon an unsuspecting planet. But all in vain, a person may plan as much as he wants to, but nothing of consequence is likely to come of it until the magic circumstance steps in and takes the matter off his hands. At last, circumstance came to my help. It was in this way. Circumstance, to help or hurt another man, made him lose a $50 bill in the street, and to help or hurt me, made me find it. I advertised the find and left for the Amazon the same day. This was another turning point. Another link. Could circumstance have ordered another dweller in that town to go to the Amazon and open up a world trade in coca on a $50 basis and been obeyed? No, 
I was the only one. There were other fools there, shoals and shoals of them, but they were not of my kind. I was the only one of my kind. Circumstance is powerful, but it cannot work alone. It has to have a partner. Its partner is man's temperament, his natural disposition. His temperament is not his invention, it is born in him, and he has no authority over it. Neither is he responsible for its acts. He cannot change it, nothing can change it, nothing can modify it, except temporarily. But it won't stay modified, it is permanent, like the colour of the man's eyes and the shape of his ears. Blue eyes are grey in certain unusual lights, but they resume their natural colour when that stress is removed. The circumstance that will coerce one man will have no effect upon a man of a different temperament. If circumstance had thrown the banknote in Caesar's way, his temperament would not have made him start for the Amazon. His temperament would have compelled him to do something with the money, but not that. It might have made him advertise the note. And wait, we can't tell. Also, it might have made him go to New York and buy into the government, with the results that would leave Tweed nothing to learn when it came to his turn. Very well, circumstance furnished the capital and my temperament told me what to do with it. Sometimes a temperament is an ass. When that's the case, the owner of it is an ass too and is going to remain one. Training, experience, association can temporarily so polish him, improve him, exalt him that people will think he's a mule but they will be mistaken. Artificially, he is a mule for the time being but at the bottom, he is an ass yet and will remain one. By temperament, I was the kind of person that does things, does them and reflects afterwards. So I started for the Amazon without reflecting and without asking any questions. That was more than 50 years ago. In all that time, my temperament has not changed by even a shade. I've been punished many and many a time and bitterly for doing things and reflecting afterward. But these tortures have been of no value to me. I still do the thing commanded by circumstance and temperament and reflect afterward always violently. When I am reflecting on those occasions, even deaf persons can hear me think. I went by the way of Cincinnati and down the Ohio and Mississippi. My idea was to take ship at New Orleans for Para. In New Orleans I inquired. I found there was no ship leaving for Para. Also, there had never been one leaving for Para. I reflected. A policeman came and asked me what I was doing, and I told him. He made me move on and said if he caught me reflecting the public street again, he would run me in. After a few days, I was out of money. Then, circumstance arrived with another turning point of my life, a new link. On my way down, I had made the acquaintance of a pilot. I begged him to teach me the river and he consented. I became a pilot. By and by, circumstance came again, introducing the Civil War this time, in order to push me ahead another stage or two toward the literary profession. The boat stopped running, my livelihood was gone. Circumstance came to the rescue with a new turning point and a fresh link. My brother was appointed secretary to the new territory of Nevada and he invited me to go with him and help him in his office, I accepted. In Nevada, Circumstance furnished me the silver fever and I went into the mines to make a fortune, as I supposed but that was not the idea. The idea was to advance me another step towards literature. 
For amusement, I scribbled things for the Virginia City Enterprise. One isn't a printer for ten years without setting up acres of good and bad literature, and learning, unconsciously at first, consciously later, to discriminate between the two, within his mental limitations, and meantime he's unconsciously acquiring what is called a style. One of my efforts attracted attention and the Enterprise sent for me and put me on his staff. And so I became a journalist, another link. By and by, Circumstance and the Sacramento Union sent me to the Sandwich Islands for five or six months to write up sugar. I did it and threw in a good deal of extraneous matter that hadn't anything to do with sugar. But it was this extraneous matter that helped me to another link. It made me notorious, and San Francisco invited me to lecture, which I did, and profitably. I had long had a desire to travel and see the world, and now circumstance had most kindly and unexpectedly hurled me upon the platform and furnished me the means. So I joined the Quaker City excursion. When I returned to America, circumstance was waiting on the pier with the last link, the conspicuous, the consummating, the victorious link. I was asked to write a book, and I did it, and I called it The Innocents Abroad. Thus, I became at last a member of the Literary Guild. That was 42 years ago, and I've been a member ever since. Leaving the Rubicon incident away back where it belongs, I can say with truth that the reason I am in the literary profession is because I had the measles when I was 12 years old. Thanks for listening. For more information, links and sources, head on over to the website at injustoneday.com forward slash turning point. Until next time, have a great day.